Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Bullet Points. This is a podcast about games with guns and some people who like to play them. Uh, my name is Reed McCarter, I'm the host for this episode, uh, and as always I'm joined by Patrick Lindsay. Hello everybody. And the one and only Edward Smith. Hi there. He's, you're literally the only Edward Smith in the entire world. Yeah, I, I checked, and I've copyrighted the name as well, so if anyone has a child called Edward Smith, then they have to pay me royalties. Yeah. You're in England I, too, so that's kind of like a double on time. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for... So encourage me. I'm waiting for you to uh, grow up, Ed, and come come out from behind this numb de plume you've been using. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually aristocracy. I'm part of the the British upper class, and yeah, yeah this this is just a kind of like low brow, simple name that I've adopted. Like my my full title is just <laughs> it takes about three hours to pronounce. Right, I'm a, this I'm is a just Viscount. how you go. This is yeah, how you either... go out among the plebeians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm yeah. I'm having I'm having a romance with like a sort of street urchiny woman. And I, I can't be seen in like low society, so I have to adopt this persona. Yeah. Is is that video games? Mm-hmm. Nice. The, you brought it full the, circle. Yeah. The the Which low class. Why you're the host, Reed. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. I can tie together video games and street urchins. Nice. It's always. Uh, speaking of this little street urchin, we dragged in from December 1994, Marathon by. Bungie. Bungie? That's a game. Bungie, have you guys heard of them? Vaguely. Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. Something about something about Peter Dinklage, I think? Yeah, I think he worked yeah, for them or something. Yeah, they're a software company started by Peter Dinklage, I think in England. Yeah. Um, Wizards or something? Yep, they are the Moon Wizards. That's their first game. And their second mm-hmm. game, actually, their first game is is what we're talking about today. It's Marathon, which uh, came out in December 1994. Like I said, like Wikipedia here is telling not me, actu- not actually, n- not actually their first game, but one of their earlier games. Was it not? No. What what came before Marathon? So, um, <clears throat> a bunch of things that I don't know the names of, um, but in my cursory research, um. Marathon was not is, is actually a sequel to another game that they made called Pathways into Darkness, which I know absolutely nothing about. It's a good name, Pathways yeah. into Darkness. Yeah, um, it's street urchiny. Oh, that's well, that's strange because okay, so I I thought Marathon was their first game, but it's it's certainly no. an early game because it's a uh, for from back for in our today, it'll be their first game. And sorry. For our accounts, it will be their first game. Yeah, yeah, we're rewriting history here. Um, and so one of the reasons that we we picked it and that we want to look at it is that it's sort of an early uh, first-person shooter that kind of does things mm-hmm. that you may not have expected a first-person shooter to be doing in 1994. Is that a fair way yeah. to kind of introduce why it's uh, worth talking about and playing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the 
Go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, I think it's a, a natural progenitor to Halo. There's a lot of Halo in there, is uh, another thing that I'm sure we'll get on to talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, for, for those who don't know, Bungie, you know, not being a jerk here, Bungie uh, is best known for uh, about 500 Halo games for the Xbox and <laughs> Destiny as well. And this game is kind of like mm-hmm. a... its It gives the impression now that all Bungie has been doing all along is just kind of making the same sci-fi game, mm. sci-fi shooter, and just... Uh, yeah, going on like 25 it. years now. Yeah, because, I mean, to set up Marathon in the, the briefest sense is that it's, you know, it's set in the future. Uh, you play this kind of, I think, an engineer on a space, space station who... Uh, some aliens invade the space station and this AI starts guiding you around um, trying to help you repel these invaders and things start happening somebody yep. just fell, so off, fell off something if you if you know nothing about Marathon but have played Halo um, this is probably going to freak you out but the main conceit is you play a security officer who is a Mark IV cyborg super soldier who uh, was sent to repel this alien invasion of a loose collective or almost kind of like a covenant, I guess you could call it, of alien races um, that try and take over your colony ship um, with the help of, as Reed just mentioned, several AI will help slash hindrance of, as I'm sure we'll get into. And yeah, that's, so that, that's a story that video games stubbornly refuse to adapt in any later games. Yeah, I mean, we 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 say that <laughs> we say that that's the story for Marathon. That's pretty much the story for video games, basically, <laughs> since like 1990. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's the heroic cycle of video games. We mm. just tell it again and again. Yeah. It's a different spaceship, different alien race every time. Um, so I guess... But, um, I, I mean... I mean s- oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, to to kind of start things off, I mean, with the uh, softball question, just to kind of ask you guys what you thought of this game. If you if you liked it, and so forth, and so on. Uh, I'll let Patrick field this one first. All right, well, um... I actually came across this when I was going through a phase where I was playing a bunch of like old-style shooters just because I had played a bunch of modern shooters and I kind of wanted to see how they have evolved or in a lot of cases haven't. And I was actually really surprised by how not... like like how kind of asynchronous Marathon seems compared to the time that it came out in. Because um, you said December... 1994, this is, as you mentioned, Ed, almost like a year to the day after Doom was released. And in a lot of ways, it does. it's kind of composed of a lot of Doomisms, and then in a lot of ways, it does a lot of really weird, like, progressive things, and then some things that are sort of progressive, but that don't really work and get to be annoying, as I'm sure Reed will, will fill us in on. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's a very it's very interesting, um, especially if you consider the time that it came out of. Um, yeah, uh, I my sort of concluding thoughts on it were that you know it's it's an interesting page in video game history, and um, you can certainly 
smell what it was trying to do and um, I appreciate that I think you know if, if you looked at Doom as a kind of huge leap forward in terms of shooter mechanics and a sort of um, it's a terrible cliche but meat and potatoes video game design <laughs> uh, Marathon was at least attempting something by way of writing and narrative and story mm -hmm. um, and trying to marry it to you know uh, typical shooter mechanics um, and I can I can sort of get behind it for that reason but in terms of playing it and you know the sort of moment to moment enjoyment was I, I, I didn't like the game very much hmm. yeah that's how I feel too I mean uh, we have this uh, rule at uh, at the bullet points headquarters here where we all are where whoever uh, cannot or refuses to finish the game that we're discussing has to host the episode <laughs> and so uh, this is where I say that I made it halfway through this game and not for lack of you know determination I threw my hands up at one point in this game and just said enough mm. it's yeah uh, and and that's from I I mean to back up like a tiny bit I liked the first little bit um, mm -hmm. and I definitely appreciate what this game is doing and kind of the groundwork that it laid out for future games but my god we'll get into I'm sure some <laughs> I, I imagine we'll we'll do some like talking about just kind of like how levels were designed mm -hmm. in shooters in the 90s mm -hmm. as, well, as we go through this what is what does it specifically read that gave you uh gave you so much trouble and I guess you too as well what was it that you that you guys didn't really latch on to um yeah it was this the one specific part where I couldn't go on anymore was uh a big part of this game aside from the kind of just running around shooting are flipping switches and pulling levers and watching platforms move up and down in a space where you can't quite look mm -hmm. up or down um, and there's a part, it's kind of a puzzle where you have to run from these different rooms and flip the right combination of levers and let them let a platform that you can't see rise for a certain amount of time and then you have to do this I think in weren't you saying Patrick it was like three different rooms, I, I just remember yeah there's three different spots where you rooms. control those platform terms yeah and, and I got to that point and I, I must have spent about half an hour trying this and then eventually just was like no nothing is worth this ed doesn't pay me nearly enough <laughs> to finish this game <laughs> so you know he's I a, a, miser a miserly british capitalist yeah <laughs> yeah uh i i had i had very similar contentions and it's actually it's something that i really come up against even when i play doom and you know i understand the reputation doom has and um you know that it, it's often written about and talked about as this almost sort of flawless um, example of uh, game design. But I, I find the levels in Doom really frustrating to navigate. I, I, I don't like sort of travelling through that game. I think the the platforms and the puzzle sections and stuff is really opaque and uh, just sort of I can't quite think of the word, but just it's 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 sort of not player friendly and that in a, in a way that I, I find sort of distasteful I, I, I'm not one of these people who's all like games should be fun and games should be accessible 
but Doom is like too far in the other direction. It's it's just sort of confusing, um, and mm. I I feel mm. exactly the same about Marathon. Um, it's probably uh, because of the period in which it was made before people had sort of progressed to like uh, objective markers and and things like this and like a, a decent map system and stuff. But as with Doom, in Marathon, I just found myself constantly lost for what to do and, um, yeah, uh, bothered by these levers and buttons and all these confusing um, platform <laughs> puzzles. Um, did, yeah. Ed, did you think that about both uh, Doom 1 and Doom 2? I think... Or do you remember the difference between them well enough at this uh, point? I remember some sort of differences. I found Doom 2, I think... More sort of pleasant to navigate than the original. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I like think the, so. It's like the opposite of me, because I this game reminded me a lot of of Doom Two, kind of a, a meaner Doom Two mm. in terms of in terms of layout. Mm. Um, but yeah, saying something because Doom Two does not play nice. No, no it does not. Um. It's interesting too, like what what you were saying at about uh, uh, about before mission objectives and everything. I think that it seems, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick. You know a lot more about this, but it seems like in the '90s, what you had to do was kind of just make mazes for players mm. to explore. Um, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, I think this game in particular actually is particularly interesting because it like comes from like it came from a time when levels were kind of by necessity by technical limitations still very small so in order to to kind of place challenge into that you had to make them kind of confusing and stymieing to navigate because that was the whole conceit was getting to the end of the level now we can like basically make entire two scale models of like whole cities in game worlds um, so you can just drop a player in a giant sandbox and say go around and do a bunch of things and they can do it um, and the, the interesting thing about Marathon in particular was there was, I mean if you if you actually take the time to read the terminals, which you don't really have to do um, the terminals by the way are like the primary way that objectives and story and everything are delivered um, but if you take the time to read them, they do at least try and narratively justify the things that you're doing in terms of running around and hitting switches, whereas in Doom you're literally just collecting keys and opening doors for no clearly stated reason. Yeah, just because um, that's what you do. Unfortunately, I think, yeah, I think it just kind of got... They tried too hard to squeeze that into a framework that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um. Also, when you consider the fact that that unlike Doom Marathon it has, a, has a setting that takes place on a colony ship which means that kind of right from the get-go they're restricted in terms of how they can design their levels because things at least on the surface have to make some kind of logical sense, whereas in a game like Doom or Quake you can have random lava rooms and labyrinths in the middle of castles and it doesn't have to be believable. Uh, yeah, they should have said it in hell. Yeah, I mean, every every shooter really should be set in hell, if you ask me. Well, I, think, yeah. I think this is like a a genuine problem in so much as um, the spaceship or, or at least as the, the spaceship as presented in Marathon is inherently uh, like you said Patrick a, quite a restrictive um, setting for a level designer in terms of like 
colours and um, aesthetics, you know, the, the majority of the game, at least as I recall, is sort of the same metal, grey, um, and mm. very similar colours. Um, just not much flair. Uh, which, again, I, I imagine is a technical limitation. You know, it's it's something that seems to have happened a lot more as gaming machines have become more advanced is that you have these games that can sort of now take you on these like globe trotting adventures because they can you know create different assets and, and render very differently looking levels with a lot more ease um, but Marathon obviously didn't have that luxury uh, I think what I probably resent not resent is far too strong of a word um but I, I, I just, I, I found, you know, despite the, I can understand the locations being quite samey. Um, I almost felt like after I'd done three or four missions in Marathon, I, I'd seen the game. You know, there was, there was not much more for me to, um, nothing sort of new to come after that. I mean, there's like new weapons and there's, you know, new enemies and things like that. But I'm not particularly enthused by those things. Um, I think that's actually a really important point, Ed, especially for shooters. There does come a point where you've, quote, seen everything, and that usually coincides with when you found the last weapon or encountered the last enemy or whatever, and then at that point, it's kind of a race for the developers to finish the game off before you kind of lose interest. And I think they tried to subvert that here with some of the story beats, but mm. again, I think that was all bogged down by the, like you said, the intractable moment to moment of navigating the levels and everything mm -hmm. yeah it's probably worth taking a step back too and, and talking about this this story a little bit because I think that's what I, I mean uh, before I had played this that's what I'd always heard about Marathon was oh, the story mm -hmm. is great um, and so, so the way it's presented is you kind of run across like Patrick was saying there are these terminals uh, and you'll have an AI talking to you. There are, I think, two or three different ones there that you run three into. Of, three of them. Okay. And so you run into them, and at first it's it's an AI, a ship AI saying, a spaceship AI saying, hey, we need you to go here and you know check out what's going on or, or send a message to someone. Uh, and as it goes on, they start kind of being expositional. You know, you start getting little bits of story and they start introducing these different AIs and it's all text based but it uh, it works pretty well for the first little bit obviously I didn't see it out all the way through but it, it almost felt like just like a text version of uh, beginning and end of level cutscenes mm -hmm. you know um, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't blown away by the story I think though that it worked in terms of keeping you going yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for, especially in a, a, a game from 1994, for trying to give at least a narrative hook to what you're doing. You know, so you're not, you're like, like Patrick was saying about Doom, um, in Doom, you know, you, you sort of have an implied motivation of, I don't know, like, you need to survive or you need to beat the ultimate monster, but it's not sort of you know, there's, there's not really a plot there. There's not really any motivation behind what you're doing, other than you're doing. It's it just a few. Yeah, you're, you're doing it for it's the a sake. It's a few paragraphs. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're just doing it for its own sake. Whereas in marathon, it's not. You know, you 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 are told you need to go to this room and this room and this room and collect three keys 
so you can operate a machine that will like close a security door and prevent more creatures getting on board the ship or yeah you need to do throw these levers and activate a communication signal that will bring in human reinforcements or something like this and it's not you know it's not exactly fucking Chaucer or anything but it's it's at least <laughs> it's at least just giving like a, a, a bit of seasoning and um I think even games nowadays sometimes struggle with that. At least they, they struggle to sort of properly and consistently define what it is you're doing and why. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you see that when developers lose sight of a story. And this, for me, is always the deal breaker in a game. I, I want a game to either have some confidence in that it's presenting a story to you or just completely just make no pretense you know yeah. what like Mar- mario right. or something that's kind of consistently presenting a story through its through its gameplay and through its explicit storytelling um and because and i think in a case like this it it's not an interest it's not a super interesting story what i saw but it's enough that you want you want to keep moving on mm-hmm the uh, the thing that I found particularly arresting about the narrative isn't like I mean the story as it stands at least at first is pretty pretty boilerplate. Um, what I like about it is that the writing does such a good job of characterizing the characters that you don't even realize, or at least I didn't even realize until partway through that the main characters of the game you don't ever actually see because um, you're communicating pretty much solely with these AIs throughout the game, but you never actually see them because they're just text on a computer screen. Um, but they, at least I thought, tended to be written fairly well enough that they actually seemed like entities and not just like a developer dumping a mission objective on a screen. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because you don't see a lot of that even in like flesh and blood characters in games. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they did do a good enough job. Like, there, there is a difference when you've been doing missions for that, <coughs> that first AI, who I think is, is it Leela? It's Leela, yeah. Yeah, and then you start doing them for, what's this, what's that guy's name, Dur something? Dur... Uh, Durandal. Durandal. Durandal, uh, yeah. <laughs> Durandal. Uh, <laughs> you start doing missions for him and he's, you know, has little bits of uh, old old stories being spat out and he's kind of making fun of you I mean I'm ascribing a gender to AI but uh, uh, there is a sense that they're different characters which is pretty mm-hmm. impressive for for uh, the scope of the story they're telling yeah, yeah. you actually get some characterization yeah uh, typically when I think about how objectives are delivered in shooting games today you often get that sort of disembodied military sort of overlord voice on the radio chatter saying we need you to attack such and such objective and it's not really like a it's not a character it is just the game telling you what to do next albeit through a human's voice Um, right whereas yeah marathon yeah i I think that's absolutely true i think that's that's a really good point is that you, you do they, they each have a sort of they have a voice of their own they, they are identifiable um, even though it's just text you can you can tell one from the other um, yeah and that's that's one of the reasons I, I sort of quietly 
respect Marathon, I guess, from a distance. Yeah, it's it's interesting too in in comparison to uh, a game that hopefully we'll get to at some point. But when you look at what they were doing here uh, with kind of a, a straightforward puzzly shooter game in 1994, and then they put out Destiny last year, the same developer, who knows how many of the same people, but you you get this game that's lavish and. Uh, doing everything on the grandest scale possible, but Marathon, I think, actually has a much more coherent story and actually mm. has characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas a, a game like uh, Destiny, where they where they come to over all these years, kind of reverse that trend completely. I guess that's also a question of form, though, because you know Marathon is um, sort of strictly well, the, the the part of Marathon that we're talking about at least is strictly single player, you know, contained, whatever, 8 to right. 10 hour thing, whereas Destiny is this vaporous, unending, you know, MMORPG. Um, but I guess that, <laughs> you know, they decided to try and put some writing into Destiny. They decided to try and make, you know, have narrative pretensions. Um, so yeah, I think absolutely they can be judged on the quality of the writing, and it is lower than in, in Marathon. Yeah, and I, not to not to judge either game based on comparison as well, but I, I just thought it was you know sort of an interesting point that the the same developer the you know even the spirit of the games is somewhat similar, mm. uh, but your little AI helper in Destiny. Uh, has has nowhere near the kind of characterization of of these text based AIs in Marathon. Mm, despite being played by a Hollywood actor, Hollywood's own Peter Dinklage. Mm-hmm. God, that's that's wild to me to think that. Like, Although he's, I, I know this and I I, go on, sorry, I can Patrick. process that information. It just still doesn't make sense to me. Well, he's he's now been replaced by Nolan North. Of course, yeah, of that's true. Uncharted fame. That's right. Yeah, um, and apparently he does a better job of it. Yeah, but you know that's destiny. This is marathon. Let's mm. rein it in, okay? Uh-huh. Even even though this is <laughs> even though this is completely my fault by introducing the thread. Um, How dare Ed, you? Ed, did you? Ed, did you manage to finish it? No, I didn't. Uh, I I reached. Um, I guess about sort of three quarters, maybe even less, and and then I watched the rest on YouTube. Um, okay. Yeah, I just watched um, Let's Players do the rest. So I, I I I could see that the game ends on a a much louder note than it begins on. Um, much more enemies, much more sort of exotic weaponry and things like this. But uh, yeah, it, it's still from what I could sort of gather by osmosis felt and looked pretty much like the same game that I'd been playing up until right. the point I stopped um, now yeah, uh, so that, oh sorry well I was going to say yeah. I mean, I mean what Patrick it, said earlier on like in, in terms of um, the momentum of, of a shooter this idea that if you've tested all the guns and all the different types of enemies you've more or less seen it um, I think that in shooters I don't want to put like a, an arbitrary year on this, but shooters prior to a certain point, uh, that's definitely true. But in the modern day set Call of Duty games, um, 
you know, the, the, the guns are all very similar. They're all just like assault rifles. They're not things that you kind of have a relationship to in the in the way that you know, like the the, the guns in Doom. Uh, and the enemies are always just soldiers. Um, right. But I I keep playing those games from beginning to end. And I quite enjoy some of them because yeah, you, you you move to different places and you do at least vaguely different things. So I think that the the momentum and the the sort of drive and the safari aspect of those games is is not um, is not embedded in the weapons and the enemies. It's in something else. It's in kind of a, a different kind of variety. Um, and I'm perhaps yeah, I I'd, I'd be prepared to make a fairly sort of grand and sweeping statement and say that for that reason uh, a lot of shooting games, a lot of games generally before a certain era, I just don't find interesting at all I, 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 I'm I, not one for mechanics I don't like, I'm not sort of enthused by ludic challenges or design no matter how perfect um, so yeah, Marathon belongs to a kind of catalogue of games that I, I personally am just not very interested by albeit that being a generalisation yeah, I, I, it, yeah, it's I definitely a, a game that that, that, that is think... a product of its era. Oh, sorry. That no, that's that's all I, I was think, saying. I think we got weird cross contamination going on in our dropping <laughs> signals, which is awful. Mm. Um, I I was just gonna say I I understand what what Ed says as well. I'm probably not quite as extreme. I'm always more interested in story than. Uh, then in kind of, you know, mechanics, but um, see the inter- like the interesting thing is I th- I think a game like Doom, that's something I played through all the way through several times. Not Doom Two, because I think it's a, a different beast in some to some degree. But there, I think there's something about these these older games. You have to have. I don't know. I'm trying to define something that's like nebulous. It's just like an aesthetic that appeals to you. Mm. Um, and I think there is something a about je ne sais quoi. Yeah, a certain je ne sais quoi. Like Doom stays appealing because it's it's got this. Uh, there is a bit of that kind of touristy thing about you're going to different places and the levels are getting a little bit grosser and mm-hmm. uh, you're, you are kind of wondering what's going to happen next. And in Marathon, as far as I got, there wasn't much of that. Mm. You saw new aliens and got new guns, but mm-hmm. it felt a lot more static. I mean, there there definitely are some things that they try and do with the actual environments themselves. Like, for example, if you noticed, if, if either of you ever got to a level where you board one of the alien ships... Yeah. Um... The gra- the gravity is way lower, for example, on alien ships than it is when you're actually on the marathon, which is a small thing, but definitely can kind of affect your sensibilities, especially if you've previously gone through the entire game up to that point, kind of having assimilated a certain quote unquote game feel into your uh, into your lexicon. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with both of you in the sense that when you're talking about older shooters what's driving them forward is that it feels fun and it feels good to go through and play to play them and it feels good to go through and fire guns and shoot things and I don't know that that's necessarily the case here I would say the main motivation for Marathon is actually similar to the main motivation for Halo which is you want to see what happens next which is a strong motivation but I I think their writers may have this may be a rare case where the writers actually kind of jumped the gun on the designers Mm. 
I liked there was yeah I, th- I think that one of the things that they did in Marathon to, to sort of keep you moving and, and keep you interested outside of just the guns and the shooting is they reveal that some of the aliens are actually slaves of another kind of higher echelon mm-hmm. of aliens and then you kind of board these ships and they're this, this lower tier of alien is now not attacking you because you've kind of freed them from their um, from their masters and you know that's like a that's like a small twist but it's you know like you said Patrick like with the low gravity thing it is it is something um, mm-hmm. and something outside of just the the joy of you know experimenting with new guns on new creatures um, so yeah maybe maybe there is more to it than I'm perhaps crediting yeah um, the one question and I wonder if Patrick can answer this which race of aliens did that rhinoceros thing belong to in the unitard which which what <laughs> do you the, there's a, an enemy in the game that I think is very striking and it's a sort of a rhinoceros <laughs> looking thing in a unitard with <laughs> these this bulging uh, genital lump thing <laughs> that kind of hangs I down actually, between his I knees. S- <laughs> I still read that email and laugh like to this day. <laughs> but what is that thing? Uh, that that They're called to me Hulks. was one of Hulks. That's kind of a boring yeah, name for... It is. Um, and they're actually, they removed them from the rest of the series because they're very poorly designed. They don't really do anything except move really slowly and take up a lot of damage, so... They're kind of like the standard bullet sponge enemy. Yeah, um, but yeah, they don't need to do anything. They just need to exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they just brighten up the room. Yeah, and actually, I'm like being kind of an asshole bringing those up because it's just funny to me. But also, I was it makes me think about the alien design in this game. I think is really bizarre and not necessarily in a good way. Well, I've I've always oh. found I've always found Bungie's art and character design sort of very uninspiring and sort of indistinct, um, and it it shows for me especially in Destiny. You know, a lot of, a lot of work um, about Destiny has talked about the sort of luster and vibrancy of the environments, but although they're colourful and perhaps quite large, I I find them really dull. It's it's like nonsensical metal structures and aliens that are just kind of collections of armor and limbs and you know I just I there's nothing in there that I can sort of bring to mind I played a lot of Destiny I played a lot of Halo I played quite a lot of Marathon and there's nothing that sort of sticks to my imagination in the same way as like you know the, the imps from Doom or something um, Halo perhaps more than those other two that I mentioned um, just because of the flood, I think that they're a great enemy. But but the rest, yeah, I, I I don't really care for Bungie's art design. Yeah, I mean, I haven't played Destiny. I've played uh, obviously a lot of Halo, and I've played a bunch of the Marathon series. And one thing I can say just from that experience is that there's something about Bungie's kind of alien and weapon design that always makes everything seem like a toy. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Everything s- seems kind of plastic and like designed to be action figureized. And like if you look at an elite from Halo, or um, like one of the trooper enemies from Marathon, or even like the weapons from the Halo games or from Destiny, they all look like they should be made out of plastic and like light up and go pew pew pew. Mm. Um, which 
I mean, if that's the aesthetic they want to go for, that's cool, I guess, but I think it kind of can lessen the gravity of a story you're trying to tell that's about, like, the death of humanity or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say uh, <clears throat> one thing for... I think this this especially came through for me in Halo. Um, and, yeah, somewhat in... Bun- uh, excuse me. Somewhat in Marathon is... I think they do a good job of uh, creating a sort of hierarchy of enemies. You know, in, in Halo especially, yeah, you, you'd, you'd come across uh, a sort of team of grunts and there'd be, like, an elite there in the background. So you've got, like, a sense of, you know, who's in charge and um, a sort of social hierarchy as well as going on behind the scenes and things like that. And I think that's become, in um, shooters recently, uh, in, in war shooters, that's like a, a kind of a lost art. You know, you're, you're fighting just like soldiers. Um, and they're, they're usually very much the same. Uh, and I, I do like you, you know you get a nice sense of progression of now I'm fighting this small enemy then this medium enemy then this large enemy and that's like a kind of implicit and added sense of um, yeah sort of climbing the ladder so to speak yeah it does have the uh, same kind of thing as as you get in Doom where you, you enter a room and there's a mix of enemy types mm. and you know that this this one you know maybe genital rhino man you know that he takes about six six rocket shots to to knock down uh so you're kind of switching between your pistol your your one pistol and dual pistol and your rocket launcher and your machine gun and you're kind of doing this little basic arithmetic in your head about how many guys there are how much ammo you have and all these different weapons and there is something really satisfying to that I, I find that's what I like a lot about Doom. I don't like the level design always, but I like the the fighting. Mm. And Marathon, when it was doing that, I was a lot more into it. Mm. Um, One thing that, that Doom is kind of well known for is that it delineates weapons, weapon effectiveness based on a situation. So like certain enemies, it's better to use the chain gun on because they have like a lower kind of hit stun threshold than other enemies or certain you wouldn't want to necessarily use a rocket launcher in a hallway um marathon kind of does that but it does in a different way by making certain enemies more vulnerable to certain types of weapons Mm. um if you noticed any like of the quote technological enemies or the armored enemies were particularly weak to the like the laser pistol that you find, and that's actually, oh, that right. becomes more yeah. pronounced in the second game, actually. If you kill an electronic enemy with a laser pistol in the second game, they'll actually explode. Right. Um, um, which is, again, it's one of those small things, but it's, for the time that came out of it, I thought that was, when you consider it in that context, I thought it was kind of neat. Um, mm. Because, it, aside from, you know, Doom and then all the other slew of 90s era first person shears that came after that it's not like that's that was necessarily a common thing mm. yeah and it does it goes a long way uh, when your basic loop of playing these games is running into another room and having a bunch of enemies advance toward you yeah right right and so you need to do something other than I like this gun I'm just gonna keep unloading with it um, that, that's something that modern shooters I think have moved away from like we mm. talked a bit about you know like when ed was mentioning that you don't get that progression of enemies anymore you're playing a call of duty and you're mm-hmm. it's it's more so the number of enemies and maybe mm. some of them have rocket launchers right uh, or some of them have some body armor 
but they're never really differentiated a great deal. You still kind of enter a situation and it's almost the the environment that, that makes the challenge, not the enemies themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is um, something unique that you get from these older games. I think uh, Wolfenstein the New Order tried to you know, tried to bring that back to some extent. Um but yes, uh, I guess that again, it's it's also a question of uh, you know fiction and and context and aesthetic. Because if you're doing what's ostensibly a grounded war game, you know it's it's perhaps a little bit too much of a leap to start introducing enemies that have kind of uh, abilities, you know, in kind of video game sense. Right. Um, as opposed to if you're doing something that's Sets the player against entirely sort of made up and fantastical creatures. They can they can they can give them anything. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's always it's always a bit silly when you have a. I don't, I don't think Call of Duty really does this. I think they have some riot suit guys or something. But when yeah. a, an enemy comes lumbering out and they're about nine feet tall, and and so they can <laughs> absorb, you know, because as in real life, if someone's a lot taller. Or broader of shoulder, then they can absorb a lot more bullets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> correct. That is exactly yeah. how it works. Yeah, that's yeah, how that's I true. got through gym class. Actually, <laughs> just just <laughs> shrugging off bullets. Yep. old Iron Skin Lindsay, they called him. Iron Skinsy. Um, I think <laughs> it's 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 very difficult to to talk about marathon without looking at like. The ridiculous number of ways that it essentially portends Halo's existence. I wasn't sure if that was a thing that either of you thought would be worth getting into. Just like the ridiculous number of similarities. Yeah, I mean, down to sort of, you know, very small things um, in the artwork around the game where you can actually see the, the, the protagonist that you're playing. Uh, you know, he, he has got an enormous amount of visual similarities to the Master Chief character. Um, right, the, yeah. the pistol that you wield originally in Marathon has a scope on it, um, and, and looks a lot like um, the you know the Magnum from Halo. Um, yeah, it, it definitely feels to me like a, a, a you know a, a very concrete spiritual predecessor. Um, but in terms of yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you two think about does it sort of predate or or um, you know, is it a kind of prequel to Halo in a sort of mechanical sense? Because I, I don't feel that it is. I I wouldn't. I don't have a a great deal of experience with Halo, other than playing a lot of multiplayer of two. Mm-hmm. So I know, but the uh, so I I can't speak to how well it predates all of the design, other than you know multiplayer is my benchmark for Halo right now. But the visual references are—it's—it's it's wild how immediate, immediately you boot up Marathon and kind of the sound of it and the the typeface even and the you know the look of the hand mm-hmm. holding the gun and, and everything is so is so familiar. Mm-hmm. But I yeah, the Marathon logo itself actually makes numerous appearances throughout the Halo series. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, and what, which I don't think it means anything, but it's it's 
caused no end of speculating among over-eager internet theorists. Mm. <laughs> well, I think as as well as any visual markers or maybe, um, you know, uh, design similarities in the sort of mechanical sense, obviously there's a lot of stuff in Marathon that's echoed in the fiction of Halo. I mean, you know, the original the original Halo game opens with you defending a spaceship from an alien right. invasion. You're accompanied by an AI who tells you what to do. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things. If you eventually encounter another malign AI construct later on that you have to work against. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, of course, yeah. Um, um, another thing that I noticed that I actually really liked is Halo, the first Halo, not so much the second or third or fourth or tenth or whatever, but um, is like a classic bait-and-switch story mm. in that you you start off fighting against one enemy, fighting against the Covenant in a very kind of straightforward military conflict, and then once you explore Halo a little bit more, and you find the monitor and the library and all that, um, the game kind of pulls all that out from under you and says, well, now you're doing something different. Um, and this game does that to a lesser degree, um, lesser in terms of scope, and also it does it earlier on. The whole, you go from fighting the aliens off to realizing that Randall, who is one of these key AI entities, has gone what they call rampant, and now you're kind of... Well, you start off working against him, and then you end up working for him, and the whole thing gets very confusing, but he becomes a very central figure in the, uh, the later stages of the plot. Um, but an interesting kind of wink-nod moment that I noticed is that if, if either of you have played Halo 4... Um, when Cort when Cortana talks about you know getting sick, she has like the AI flu or whatever. Um, she tells the chief that she's going rampant, which is a thing that happens to AIs after they grow too large, and that's like literally the plot of the entire Marathon trilogy: is AIs who have grown too much and are going rampant, like in using that same verbiage and everything. Right. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, it's. Sorry, Reed. No, I was just going to say that Patrick has ruined Halo for me now. The yeah. storyline of true. I the Halo games. You know, you know everything now. You should probably just not even play them. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ed. I cut you off. Uh, no, I was just going to say that, yeah, I, I, I can... There's kind of echoes of Marathon in Halo, you know, uh, throughout, um, but to sort of bring it back to that question about are there any design similarities? Uh, I guess uh, again, this falls back to technical and perhaps even monetary limitations. Is that uh, you know, Marathon is all set indoors and it's it's sort of it's a corridor shooter, right. whereas Halo, um, sort of especially the, the the first one, sort of deliberately wrong foots you and kind of makes a point in that in that kind of like Wizard of Oz going from black and white to colour you know you, you start Halo in a spaceship in a sort of corridor shooter situation and then it just goes like Bwah! and now you're down on this planet and you've got this huge you know area that you can drive around in a car and fly around in a little buggy and you know it's it's a it's a battlefield as opposed to like a, an interior um, and I just I, I'm not sure whether any of the necessary uh, necessary um 1990s corridor shooter sensibilities really uh, are absorbed 
into that design. I don't know whether you kind of lose a lot of that stuff just by setting it in such a wide open space. Um, yeah, I don't know, Patrick. You know, having played Halo, what do you think? I mean, I think the the, the key difference, not just between Marathon and Halo, but between '90s shooters and shooters from today, is that the central, like the 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 injection of plot, has played such a huge role, whether or not it's executed properly. Um, because now the central conceit has gone from get from the start of the level to the end of the level, flip any switches you come across, collect any keys you come across, and kill everything, to, okay, yeah, you're still going from the start of the level to the end of the level, but we're framing it in such a way that that sort of progression, that loop, isn't really quite so apparent, and what you think you're doing is not being, you know, railroaded by developers, but instead playing an integral part of this story that you think is good or important or whatever. Um, which, again, uh, the, the, I guess the theme of today's episode is it seems like a small thing, but it has a fairly large impact. Um, mm. Because it really does. It changes, a, it changes a game from a corridor shooter into essentially a sandbox where there's very little in terms of active level design, but a lot to do and see and like lots of, quote, stuff to do. Um, so in that sense, they're kind of direct opposites of each other. Mm. Yeah, quite. Yeah, very much so. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think how to sort of word it. I don't know whether. Let's say, you know, having played Marathon and having played Halo, um, I wonder whether there's any sort of. You know, we're talking about Doom and how it, you know, it doesn't seem to have much of a narrative pretense in the sense that you are just picking up keys and opening doors for the sake of it. But. You know, in that structure, in that sort of linear, very strictly goal-based structure, you do have the basis for um, for plot writing. You know, you've got a very sort of uh, strict setup around which to write things. And I wonder whether by opening something up in the way that Halo does and becoming sort of baggier in a topographical sense, um, you lose narrative momentum. I guess this is like a really broad question in the sense of can sandbox games have like a, a well propelled story? Um, yeah. So that, I, I can't speak again to Halo directly, but I always think that there's a lot of potential in sandbox games to tell stories that isn't doesn't quite get uh, used up properly. Because mm. you, see, you see something like... Um, you know, trying to think of a good example. Uh, even Far Cry 2, I think, is a good one, where it shows that you can sort of inject your storytelling into the very basis of the the number of potential interactions you can have. Uh, all the different variables all feed back into what the story is about. Mm. So it's mm -hmm. it's less of being directly railroaded in. Uh, you know, sort of the linear cutscene thrill ride kind of uh, campaign. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I was just laughing at your description. Oh. Um, this audio connection is just horrible, so I'm going to apologize because I keep... I feel like I'm lost somewhere in the woods. No, you're good. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> I feel like I'm just wandering... We'll fix it Roping. in post. Yeah, it'll all come out in post. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Now I'm all befuddled. But uh, I think there is something you can do when you... If you have the open area and you... If the developer contains the variables in such a way that they all have to feed back into what the game is about, then mm. you can still have a really interesting narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think, it's, think I think it's a matter of making your narrative permeate the game without making it the central driving factor, and I think that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Is you're you're playing the game because of X, Y, and Z, and then along the way you end up with this kind of self-created emergent narrative versus you're playing a game to hit plot nodes A, B, C, and D, hopefully in that same order, mm. but not necessarily. See, I, I find a lot of the things that you do in, in sandbox games to just be um, this sort of like junk, that is kind of distractionary um, sort of pastime activities that, you know, at best, tangentially and very loosely connect to the central narrative conceit so like in Far Cry 4 which compared to Far Cry 2 is, is a kind of disaster in terms of writing um, you know in Far Cry 4 the, the sort of central plot is that you need to basically undermine the power of this country's ruler and sort of bring down his regime and that is used as uh, context for getting you to you know storm all these bases that are on the map and pull down communication towers and do all these things that are, you know, ostensibly disrupting his infrastructure. Um, but it's not ever sort of properly affirmed. It's never kind of tied together. It's a very sort of loose motivation. Um, whereas well, in, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, Ed, that's, I think um, there were a lot of people who probably, you know, they played, I think it was that one Assassin's Creed game, uh, Brotherhood, where you're trying to kind of take over Rome and reduce, I think it was the Pope you're trying to reduce uh, or, or Cesare Borgia you're trying to reduce his power so that's the uh, incentive for going around and destroying things and doing side missions mm. and I think that was one of the first games to really have that idea of undermining someone's power by doing all these side objectives mm. and it worked so bloody well that mm. now it's become the most aggravating conceit of all time because it's you know every sandbox game it's it's like a gift that you well, can just it's, say it's yeah it's a it's a really easy fix to a why are we going to make them do all of this random stuff um unfortunately it gets abused a lot which is why in far cry 3 you had things like buggy racing for some reason like that was part of the oh. liberation effort yeah i don't know yeah uh and i think that um, you know, it, it's probably a bit of a stretch to refer to Halo as like a as a sandbox game necessarily, but um, there are areas in the the levels in Halo that are, if not exactly optional, then certainly ones that you don't entirely, you know, need to go to. They're not sort of laid out on a map for you as optional distractions, but they are sort of areas that you can find um, incidentally rather than. You know, while you're moving through the the sort of central corridor, quote unquote, of the level, um, and I think that it 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 gets around. You know, the, the, what I said before about things in sandbox games being junk, they always feel like that to me because you open your map in a sandbox game and it's covered in little dots, and they're just like sort of hives that you have to go and scratch. They're just like things for you to go. And eat. You know, it's like it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's like a it's like a menu. 
Um, whereas in Halo, you don't have any of that. You know, you're encouraged to explore, but only in the sense of, you know, you're on an alien world. Like, you know, what could be around the corner? It's a kind of implicit sense of like curiosity, as opposed to like blithe completionist instinct. Um, and that, to me, feels like a much more natural sandbox and a kind of like truer and, and perhaps sort of more noble sense of the word than just this sort of dispassionate listing of things that you can go and do if you like. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of a legacy holdover even from 90s shooters, the whole idea of secret hunting being like a, a core sort of tenet of the games. Even Even Doom and Quake were all about, not all about, but definitely included a strong aspect of um, going from place to place mm. but at the same time if you if you go off the beaten path you might find a new weapon or a big stash of ammo or whatever um, and it's not marked on the map and it's most of the time it's not even really acknowledged that you've done it it's just it's there for you to do it and you're rewarded usually with some sort of material gain if you do um, but if you don't it's not like you're staring down this ominous 96% completion thing on the main menu and just can't sleep at night. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and that, that to me, you know, it feels like a, a a sort of a more heartfelt experience. And also, um, I think when you've got the, the map of things you can go and do, everything you do feels, you know, in service, like you say, Patrick, to that completion rate, in service to mm-hmm. completing sort of a list of you know, game and again to keep using this word, ludic challenges, and so it inherently feels <laughs> divorced from the story. You feel like you're just going and doing these things in service to a video game, as opposed to like your character. Whereas just by removing map markers and sort of you know statistic gauges and things like this, you 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 sort of get a a story. Well, not exactly a story, but a, a, a different sense. It's like you're exploring just because your character is exploring, not because you're someone playing a game, doing things to finish the game. Um, it, it feels a lot more sort of naturalistic. Well, it probably ties in to um, you, if you had something like a Grand Theft Auto Three back in the day. It was an it was an open world, you know, a sandbox world, just because it could be. Because yeah. that was something you did to increase gameplay possibilities, to mm. just sort of make a, a more uh, a fuller space where more things could could happen on their own. And it wasn't now. Now it's I think been perverted quite a bit. And and Halo, the impression I get from you know just kind of having poked around with it, the impression I get was it was almost a similar idea of you have these open spaces, you know, poke around, and try to find things if you if you like, but it also presents this opportunity to uh, think about the battles differently, the gun battles. You could you know, instead of just being in this one corridor where there's the cover here's where you run out and shoot it's, here's an open space and do what you will with it Mm. Um, but I think all of these ideas that were well and good in the early days, you know, have been perverted into here's, here's where everything is that you need to go to because we made this big space and we need to fill it with something so so people don't say why is it so big and there's nothing to do mm. yeah there's a sort of inherent I guess like insecurity of you know oh please go and look at all our stuff we've laid it out for you um, right yeah which which I you know is, is quite a dull impulse um, but something I'd say for Marathon um, as a sort of early game 
uh, that attempted, you know, had, had pretensions of story. I think that it, one of the things I like about it is it's it's evidence of something that um, has kind of been lost or, or, or sort of fallen out of favour. I think in some games, is it like linearity? I I, I actually like linearity. I, I I don't think linearity is the sort of dirty word that um, no, it's not. Some sort of enthusiast gaming websites would have you believe. I think linear is like a it, it's a good thing to be, um, and that I actually am I'm more sort of bored and, and less interested in completing games that are quote unquote you know sandbox and and, and non-linear. Um, so I actually quite I quite like Marathon for being. An early example of of a game that is, you know, as as much as a, a progenitor to Halo, you you may argue is a progenitor to something like uh, The Last of Us or something. You know, a, a linear game that, for better or worse, is trying to be written and 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 tell a story. I quite like its its discipline. Right. I mean that when if you're making a, a game that is propping itself up primarily on the story as its main strength you kind of need to embrace linearity because if you have a directionless open world um, there's no way that you can control how players consume your story, what order they kind of approach it in. You have no control over any of that mm. um, which is why it's kind of, you, you basically need to make a linear game if you want to have a story that makes any sense and I think when games can recognize that and kind of acquiesce to that rather than try and fight it because god damn it we're going to have our 100 plus hours of content um, I think that's an important thing to recognize Yeah. well I think there are different design principles based on what you want to accomplish you know if you if you want to yes. make sure the player is kept on you know the, the mine cart going down the tracks like in a Call of Duty where it's rollicking and keep going you know Gears of War or, or uh, Uncharted or something where it's very railroaded how you're supposed to experience these different things then you want to do a linear game but I think there is something to a game like, like again like Far Cry where there's a lot sort of packed in where you're, the point that the story is trying to make is more general and is left to you to kind of tease out from the mm. materials provided. Like, I, I prefer linear games. I think generally, as a rule, I usually enjoy the stories in them more, but I think there is there is a place for both. It's just... It doesn't seem like it's thought about as what's the best way to convey this, this story or, you know, explore this topic. It's kind mm. of, let's make this kind of game first, and then the story... And, and design gets right. slotted and in. How can we contextualize all of these actions after the fact? Yeah, yeah. I think there's 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 room for both. Absolutely. The the, the two things that I I dislike uh, first is um, the kind of preferential treatment that seems to be given to games that are full of content and big and yeah. let you do what you want. Um, and it almost feels as if you know. Uh, games that sort of boast a lot of exploration and sort of um, innocent until proven guilty and for linear games it's the other way around they have to sort of prove themselves, they have this kind of like original sin of linearity that, that some game critics just find you know, distasteful by default and I think that that's a 
I, I, you know, I don't like that impulse. Um, the other thing about open world games and sandbox games is the uh, importance and sort of um, prestige with which player-driven narrative is discussed, as if like sort of stories that happen exclusively to and because of the player are you know as valid and as interesting as a story that's been written by a writer. Uh, and I just, I, you know, I, I don't believe that whatsoever. I think that player-driven stories are just sort of inherently meaningless and usually quite similar and um, tepid and a bit vaporous. It's like, oh, I got into this crazy gunfight and then you won't believe what happened next. And it's just like somebody telling you a dream that they had. It just doesn't mean much to me. <laughs> um, you know, that's a really I, good way to put that. I, I, it is, I, actually. Yeah, that's really apt. I, I prefer to be... You know, I want to be the guy who's kind of sat by the campfire and there's somebody telling me a story rather than sort of titting around doing what I want and then telling people about it. Like that doesn't that doesn't seem to me like the equivalent of a of a good story. Yeah. I yeah, I actually really like that analogy. I think that's spot on in a lot of really important ways. Um Yeah, I'm I'm with you on on that uh to an to an extent, I, I think there there are ways to uh, to direct the kind of emergent stories that players are going to have. But I think mm. it's you have to you have to really be thinking about the freedom that you're allotting a player, um, mm. and, and not just saying, "Well, their stories are as valid." Because I am with you that <laughs> a comparison between someone telling you about a dream is is spot on. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. It's super interesting to the person it happened to, because it's theirs. But you know, no mm-hmm. one else really cares. Yeah, it's no, that's that's may- why I, 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 don't know, I never got into this whole this whole thing about like people driving around and like YouTube videos of people driving around in GTA and like blowing things up hilariously. Like I don't know, I don't really find that as entertaining as playing through GTA Four, for example, and kind of drawing that story to a close. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Completely. I'm on um, board with that as well. I, I think... I get... Oh, sorry. No, go on, Reed. I was just going to say, I think this is a discussion that uh, we're almost straining at with uh, the game we picked. Like, <laughs> you know, if, if we did uh, something like a Grand Theft Auto or a, a Red Dead, I think you could really... There's a lot well, to I be think... said about this. I, I think it comes into play here in the sense that I, I kind of think that, in a way, Marathon is a failed experiment at trying to introduce narrative into shooting games where it may not have necessarily existed before. Right, yeah. Um, I would say it's a failed experiment in that, despite the fact that they tried to create a very kind of author-driven, guided experience, I think that what we said at the beginning of the show was true. They did really trip up on a lot of the sort of central fixtures of the genre that they couldn't or wouldn't break away from which is I, I think makes this game sort of like Far Cry 2 one that's more quote interesting to talk about than it is to play mm. mm-hmm. mm, that's true that is very true I think that, that, that to me is a, a pretty uh, conclusive thought about Marathon is that it's, you know, it, it's a game that I could talk about and talk about but I would probably never play again um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know it's it's an important page from video game history um, that is 
pretty much entirely unenjoyable as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but uh, the like, th- like many history books. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, one of the things I I was gonna. Um, I sort of you know I was, I was thinking today about you know the fact that we we're recording this tonight, and one of the things that you know I often hear is said about old games is they say you know it's good but it's so dated like it's so dated I just couldn't play it now it's so dated, and I as much as I struggled with marathon I, I yeah I don't like that impulse if I can't play it now it's so dated because I think that that's probably why a lot of kind of video game history gets wiped out and why video games are often quite samey because people just don't play what came before and you know don't really have like a a frame of reference beyond the past five years um so yeah i i as much as i have just said i don't really like playing marathon it's it's not because it's old because you you have to work with it you know you have to sort of adjust your filter and 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 work alongside the game you can't just go into it expecting it to live up to the same things that you're used to um, yeah. yeah I kind of ragged on it it's kind of old style level design but I don't want it to seem like you know all games of a certain era are sort of unplayable now I just personally don't like them yeah I'm right there with you on that I think that uh, one of the reasons I had a hard time finally deciding to stop playing this even though I had not been enjoying it for most of the time I was playing it was because I didn't want to just take the easy way out of saying well it's old mm. you know because there are plenty of old games that you, you kind of have to just adjust yourself to uh, the way things were being done decades ago it's, mm. it's similar to reading a, a, a Victorian era book you have to kind of get get yourself acclimated to the different pacing, the different conventions of, of what was being done at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one, it's just, you know, there are some extreme examples of kind of 90s shooter design principles in it that are hard to get over. But that, that doesn't mean it's not worth looking at. And it's not bad because it's old. Yeah. Precisely. So, yeah, yeah. I'm As- right there with you. I, I mean, I, I think that's a perfect rap point, but I also think it's funny just as an aside that because it's old is a reason that we within the video game community use for both really liking a game or a series and, <laughs> and kind of bashing a game or a series. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that's very true, yeah. Because people will fervently defend all kinds of games or series because, quote-unquote, they're old, even though they don't necessarily come right out and say so. But, I mean, that's kind of the root of why we all still play Zelda games. Well, it depends on if it's your old or not. You know, I didn't play ah, Zelda yes, growing right, up, so okay. it means nothing to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but so someone yeah. else will, will will go to bat for it because it's they played it a million times as a kid and they have no distance from it. Mm. Yeah, I think anyway. if, I, if, I'd, if I'd played Marathon, you know, lots and lots and lots when I was four or five years old, I'd probably have quite a different you know different things to say here probably um yeah yeah age is a funny thing i think in games yeah yeah getting older yeah 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 <laughs> getting older that's i'm just thinking of that because ed was talking about dying before the podcast started so well i like to get us all pumped up and you know it's like a kind yeah. of team talk before going out onto the pitch get out there guys because we are all dying <laughs> 
<laughs> Make sure this hour is well spent because it's one hour or less that you'll have yeah. to enjoy your friends and family. I had, I had a really yeah, sort of slightly frightening realization the other week because I, I just finished watching The Wire for the fourth time. It was the fourth time I've watched The, the Wire in its entirety. Yeah. And one one viewing of The Wire completely is 60 hours, and I've watched it four times. Yeah, so don't ever do this to yourself. That's the 10 math. days of my life spent just watching The Wire. And I thought, I, you know, <laughs> I, I really, really like the show, but that's 10 days potentially less spent with, like, my kids or something, if I ever had any, that I've just, I've just, yeah, pissed into the wire. I mean, when you frame it that way... Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a that's a terrifying arithmetic that's to do. Yeah. Uh, especially when you're a game uh, games writer and you're reviewing. Oh, God, I know. So if you have to review a 40-hour game, it's best not to think about how much of your life and... Yeah, what else you could have done in maybe, that 40 hours. Maybe that's why so many game writers are, like, unapologetically sycophantic, is because I'm spending so much time playing this, I damn well better enjoy it. Well, yeah. I have to convince myself that this time spent was not wasted. Yeah. No, I, I think yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, you, you, you put 200 hours into Fallout 4 or whatever, and... Yeah, you don't want to say, well, that was a waste of time because that's, yeah, that's 200 hours that you could have spent, you know, with your family at Christmas. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, well, yeah. the idea of spending 40 hours with my family at Christmas is <laughs> a different kind of, <laughs> different kind of dread. <laughs> uh, well, I guess this is a good point to wrap it up because now I'm starting to think I should go and hug my cat and, uh... <laughs> <laughs> smell the fresh air with your evening yeah fuck you guys what are we even doing here <laughs> yeah tell me about it that should be our that's our tagline that's, a, that's I mean this s- is a this is this is our fifth episode we're averaging about an hour plus an episode that means that you've already dumped five hours of whatever's left of the rest of your life into just sitting here <laughs> talking to Ed and myself yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great yeah. Um, Sweet so, dreams, Reed. So, yeah, so this has been our podcast. I hope you enjoyed the last hour and uh, 14 minutes because you're not getting it back. <laughs> no one you love will get to talk to you during that time. If you played Marathon as well, I don't know why you did that. That was a waste yeah. of time. Just pissing the years away <laughs> at this point. But, but listen, that's not going to stop us, is it? No. No, of course not. We just... Just keep pushing the boulder up the hill. That's all we can do. If we're, if we're still doing this when I'm kind of 60 years old, I might say, look, guys, I think we should probably go and, you know, do do something else now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, so, so, <laughs> so we've got some time. We've got, we've some, got time. some time, yeah. I've got another kind of 35 that, years. That leaves us, like, yeah, well, that leaves us plenty of room for more episodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I guess the final thing that we need to do is assign Marathon a score. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I've been um, doing I, the math. Yeah, I've been kind of taking note of all of our comments throughout the episode, and uh, I bought a new calculator uh, yeah, specifically nice. to specifically to sort of tally up um, our, our scores. Um, 
But I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll save that one for now. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll save what I consider to be the most objective mathematical score for marathon until last. I'll, I'll go to okay. read what, what would be your sort of subjective score for marathon. Yeah, my subjective score is is a firm seven out of ten. But uh, really, you, know, you can fire me if you want. I'll, hmm. I'll just keep on being subjective. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you hanging for a second while I go to Patrick. Well, I personally believe that here at Bullet Points we have no room for these subjective game reviews. Mm. Um, so I actually asked a couple buddies of mine who go to MIT for science <laughs> um, to help me score Marathon objectively with complete scientific neutrality, and uh, they, they came back with a 7 out of 10. It was a oh, 7 for them as well. Okay, good. That, that puts my mind at ease because that's, that's exactly what I've got. Um, okay, it was, great. It, it was sort of leaning towards a 7.1 there for a second, but I, I went back uh, and I checked, and there was one there was one graphics that wasn't quite right. It wasn't quite 60 FPS, so mm. I had to dock the point okay. one. Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it's, it's good to know, again, the that we're on the universal server too on few graphics. That's, yeah. Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we'll keep... We can keep refining the algorithm too, and uh, just fine-tuning it. If you, yeah, you know, I mean this, this will us, only get better, presumably. Yeah, and let us know if you find any errors in our in our calculations. <laughs> write in, leave a comment for us. Um, Jesus Christ! That's what we love <laughs> is when people leave us comments. <laughs> exactly. Um. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm gonna wrap this thing up, man. This is yeah. Do it up. Yeah, this is uh, it's been going for a while. Um, Stick a fork in it. Yeah. So this is yeah. This is bullet points, and so I was joined by Ed Edward Smith, who you can find where Ed. Uh, you can find me writing for various publications, uh, most of which will be aggregated on my Twitter, which is at most sincerely Ed. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, 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 Patrick, is that your name? Um, yeah, it is my name. Um, like Ed, pretty much everything I do, not just writing, but specifically writing as well, um, can be found on Twitter at Han Freaking Solo. Perfect. And uh, I'm the editor in chief of Time Magazine, but most <laughs> of my work can be found at my Twitter, which is at Reaper <laughs> Oh, we um, should mention we should mention that the the podcast itself has a Twitter now. It does indeed. That's right. That's yeah. right. Pa- Patrick, you did so much hard work. Why don't you introduce our Twitter? Spank it we on the have butt, a Twitter send it out. for the podcast. It is at Bullet Points Pod because uh, Twitter has some weird stipulations about character limits. Hmm. Um, but you can find us on Twitter there. Um, we will be sharing information on upcoming episodes and funny jokes and terrible puns and probably pictures of cats, which yeah. we'll come to read for it. But yeah, uh, check it out. Now, now, guys, I, I heard a rumor that the Bullet Points podcast can also be found on Tumblr. I don't know if that's true. That's true. Well, I mean, normally you shouldn't believe rumors unless they're about games. Um, but this one is true. We are... Online at Bullet Points Podcast at Tumblr or dot Tumblr dot com. 
um, which will probably be migrating to a proper disk.com in the near future. Um, you can find there links to all of the episodes, and we'll also be posting show notes for every episode as well, so we can read along and collect them like trading cards, and it will be a grand old time. Superb. Yes, wonderful. All right, well let's let's close this bad boy up and uh, put it to bed. You know, give it a glass of warm milk. Oh, and did, did, uh, did we agree that next what? episode we're going to talk about Halo? Sorry, I keep just like butting in and saying, "Oh, by the way, oh hey, listen, are we doing Halo Ed, this that's, week?" That's what I was just about to say. Oh God, I'm okay? so sorry. You ruined it. You can host sorry. next time. Um, well, now yeah. we have to record the whole episode all over again. <laughs> yes. it's completely ruined. Uh, I was going to announce our Bungie sponsorship, and uh, which is extremely lucrative, and which means that we'll be doing Halo on the next episode. It also means that I'm eating Destiny-flavored Doritos right now. Mm. Yum, yum, I'm, yum. I'm recording this from Peter Dinklage's house. He's just he's just he's just in the bath, but when he gets out we're gonna have some food and, and sit down and play the entire bungee Oni, we're gonna play Oni, we're gonna play all the Halo games. Yeah, we can't wait. That's great. Thanks. You know, I watched Game of Thrones and that Peter Dinklage accent was so convincing I knew he had to be English. I knew it. <laughs> I knew he was just joking about being American. <laughs> anyway, enjoy Bungie. Enjoy bullet points. We'll see you next time with 